Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We are in week six of our series, Anchored. I've been saying in this series just about every week that um, before every blessing comes a testing. God's going to test you before he blesses you. He wants to see if you can handle it. We've been looking at the tests of Daniel. There are about eight or nine in the the book of Daniel that that, uh, are about him specifically or about his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Today, though, it's a little different in that we're going to see a a test of the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And we're going to, today what we're going to learn is is that how does God test you with success? You say, Brett, I know suffering is a test, but I didn't know that success was a test. Oh, yeah, it's, it's a big test. And so I'll ask it like this. Have you ever seen somebody, um, you know, that gets a lot of wealth, they get a lot of fame or a lot of money or, you know, something happens and their life blows up and they just, you know, they enjoy all this. They're famous. They're rich and famous. And, and then all of a sudden they just go off the deep end. They don't handle it very well. I was thinking about that this week and I went out online just to kind of look and see. So I Googled, you know, um, people ruined by fame or people ruined by money or something. I can't remember exactly how I Googled it, but um, I was amazed. I mean, I knew that there were a lot, but I could literally, and I didn't do it because I'm not, I don't want to draw attention to people and make them, I'm not, I'm not in the business of putting somebody down or, you know, saying, you know, ha ha, look at them. That's not the point behind this at all. Just trying to make the point that there are, I could literally fill a screen for 15 or 20 minutes of people who have come into great wealth, great notoriety, great fame, had everything, the world was their oyster, and they could not handle it. And it becomes too great, and, and you know, you look up and they've lost it all, and they've gone about half crazy, and, and you know, they've lost their friends, and they're, they're, <laughs> some of them are homeless. I mean, it's just, it's amazing what has happened to some of these people. And so, <clears throat> success is as much a test in your life as suffering. As a pastor, who's been in ministry now in one form or another for 40 years. I put a thing on Facebook that I was 35 years, my anniversary of ministry was this week, 35 years. But I've been do, I was doing ministry way before they started paying me for it. And, and uh, in the 40 years that I've been doing this in one form or another, I've seen people go through serious, serious suffering and come out on the other side better than they were when they went in. Closer to God, better prayers, better worshipers, better givers, better servants. I've, I've watched them go through and just marveled at how you know, close to God they were. I've also seen people experience fame and fortune, and I've watched blessing change people, and they've fallen away from God. <clears throat> um, you know, you're either, one of two things is true of your life this morning. You're either moving toward God or you're moving away from him. One of those two things is true about every one of us in the room. You are not static. You're dynamic. You're moving toward God or you're moving away from God. The question is, which of those is happening uh, in in your world? Uh, You know, again, I've, I've watched people go through hardship and come out on the other side. I've watched other people go through these experiences and it's all good and and, and they're nowhere to be found in, in the church. Here's the thing that I've discovered. People don't leave church because they did a deep dive into whether or not the resurrection is true and decided that the resurrection isn't true. Because if you start looking at that evidence very long, you'll get convinced, right? That's not the problem. 
The problem is money comes along. A person comes along. A relationship comes along. I get blessed with something, and it diverts my attention. And the next thing you know, I'm not going to church anymore. The next thing you know, I don't have time for that. The next thing you know, I've got other options, things that I could be doing, and, and I don't really do that anymore. And, and, and all of a sudden, now I fall away from God. And then I, I hear people say things like, well, I don't believe in God anymore. But they don't believe in, it's not that they don't believe in God because they did a study and decided God isn't real. They don't believe in God anymore, or they say that. They say that. It's probably not really true, but they, they say that because it's, they don't want to be bothered. It's, it's just an inconvenience for them. Scripture says this, a hot furnace tests silver and gold, and people are tested by the praise they receive. I heard Rick Warren talking to pastors one time, and he said, compliments and criticisms are like chewing gum. You should chew on it, but you should never swallow it. <laughs> I thought that was really good. You know, you swallow it, it'll, it'll mess you up. It'll mess you up. You listen, as a pastor, I get complimented from time to time. <clears throat> If I let that, if I dwell on that too long, that takes me to bad headspace. Same thing with, with complaining. You know, not everybody's a fan. And if you dwell on that too long, if you, if you swallow that, that becomes a poison and it'll mess up your life. People are tested by the praise they receive. Human beings are the only animal known to man that the more you pat them on the back, the bigger their head gets. Did you know that? The more you pat them on the back, the bigger their head gets. Today, we're talking about the danger of pride and arrogance and ego when you are successful. Now, we've got some core values at Cross Lane. If you were to write out the word Christ, we've made an acrostic out of that, and those are the core values at Cross Lane. These are the things that we have decided are most important to us as a congregation. Like when our elders come together and we're trying to work through a problem, this is the stuff we keep at the forefront of our mind. This is what drives us. This is, this is kind of how we make decisions. This is where we want our, our stuff to go. And this is where, what we want the feel of this place to be like. And one of the things that's really important to us is the H in Christ, humility. That's a really important core value to us at Cross Lane. In Daniel chapter 4, uh, we learn about King Nebuchadnezzar and the fact that he literally lost everything because of his pride and arrogance and ego. 2,600 years ago, King Nebuchadnezzar is the most successful man on the planet. His father has been the king of Babylon. This young man, Nebuchadnezzar, has been a, a warrior in his father's army. He ascends to the position of general. He, he's this mighty warrior. He does these amazing things on the battlefield. In fact, at one point, he basically is responsible for the overcoming of the Assyrian kingdom, and he comes back a conquering hero. He's a rock star at a very early age in his life. He achieves great notoriety, great fame, and everybody knows his name, and his dad is the king, and eventually his dad passes away, and the whole empire falls to Nebuchadnezzar, and he expands the Babylonian empire. He, he beautifies the city of Babylon, and he becomes... He builds it into the, the largest empire of the day. Everyone feared King Nebuchadnezzar. He was the man. King Nebuchadnezzar built one of the most beautiful cities in the world, complete with something called the Hanging Gardens. I don't know if, if you were to Google that, um, the, the Hanging Gardens is, is, was, is listed as one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. That's how pretty it was. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar becomes the most powerful man on earth, but he had a problem. And his problem was pride. 
I don't know what your problem is, but you've got one. I've got one. We've all got something that we fight with, something that, that crops up, something that challenges us in our faith. It, it, you know, it could be gossip. It, it, maybe you have an addiction. It, it might be a porn problem. It could be any number of things that, that you're fighting with. You, maybe, maybe money is like your downfall. You just can't handle it or praise. Um, maybe you have an anger issue. King Nebuchadnezzar battled pride arrogance, ego, his entire life. One night, King Nebuchadnezzar was, was having a very disturbing dream. And this is 32 years after the first dream that he had. You remember about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, we talked about how King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he, he, he meets Daniel. They're about to kill Daniel, but Daniel says, hey, I can interpret that dream. Not only can I interpret the dream, I can tell you what your dream was, and I can interpret it for you. And so Daniel does that. 32 years later, the king has another dream. He calls Daniel in and he says, hey, I've had this dream. I need you to tell me what's going on. And Daniel hears the dream and he tells the king, it means that God is fed up with you. He's not happy with you. He's upset with your arrogance and you would have nothing if it were not for God in your life. You have taken all the credit, Nebuchadnezzar, and you should have known better. Now remember last week, we, we looked at this statue that this this idol that king nebuchadnezzar built 90 feet tall it was in honor of himself he wanted everybody when they heard the music to bow down and worship him and that and that that image that represented him he thought he was god that was kind of the way it worked with the kings of the day they looked at themselves as gods and they wanted people to bow and worship them and Nebuchadnezzar had seen so many miracles. He had seen God do so many things in the life of Daniel. He'd seen God do things in his own life. And, and he, he understood, in fact, he even made a declaration that God was the one true God. But he forgot that, and he moved away from it, and he didn't follow up. And Daniel said, King Nebuchadnezzar, for the last 30 years, you haven't served God. You've been serving yourself. And your time is about up because God has given you all the chances he's going to give you. Daniel said, not only are you going to lose your kingdom, you're going to lose your mind. You're going to go insane. And you will be kicked out of the palace and you'll have to go live in the desert like an animal. Your hair is going to be matted. You're going to grow long nails. You're going to look like a beast of the field. You're going to lose your sanity for a period of time. But here's the good news. You can avoid all that. You don't have to go through this humiliating experience if you will humble yourself and listen to God and honor him with your successes. Sadly, King Nebuchadnezzar did nothing about this. He has the dream, he gets the interpretation, and then he disregards it immediately. He goes on his merry way, he's on this ego trip, he's still all about himself, and Nebuchadnezzar lost everything that he had worked for. The most powerful man in the world ends up living with the animals out in the desert. King Nebuchadnezzar fails the test of success. Now, you can be expected to face your own test of success. You will experience success, and if you pass that test, you will experience more success. If you meet with success and you don't handle it very well, then that might not go as well for you. The next time you may get less. Scripture is full of this principle it's full of this idea that when you handle things the right way, God blesses you with more. That if you don't handle it the right way, God removes certain things from you. So in this story today, we're going to break this down into three sections. 
we're going to look at what gets people into trouble when they, when they uh, start succeeding in life. Then we're going to look at what are the steps to recovery after you have failed. And then we're going to talk about what are the things that I need to remember about God that will stabilize me either in success or in failure. Nebuchadnezzar is going to learn four things that we need to learn as well, so that in good times and bad times, uh, these are the things that can stabilize your life. Number, so what gets us into trouble? Number one is this. We get comfortable and complacent with success. We get comfortable and complacent with success. That ha- this happens to all of us when things are going good. You, you, you just get complacent. Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, this is basically his testimony. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home taking it easy in my palace without a care in the world. Now, I just want to ask you a question. Does that sound like a guy that's on his face before God in prayer? Does that sound like a guy that, that, uh, that um, is, is meditating on God's word? Does that sound like a guy that, that uh, has carved out a quiet time for himself and studies a little bit every day? It doesn't sound like it to me. Here's a question. Do you pray more in pain or in pleasure? Do you pray more in pain or in pleasure? When things get awful, oh God, I need you right now. When things are going great, oh God, I'm going to go to the beach, right? <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm, you know, when, when, when things are going great, whatever is going great for us, we're all in on that particular thing. We don't even think about God when things are going good a lot of the times. It's pleasure that pulls us away from God. Pride creeps in. Check out all the the personal pronouns. I'm going to jump to the end of the chapter for a minute. I want you to see this passage because I want you to see all the personal pronouns in this. This is King Nebuchadnezzar talking. I have built this great Babylon as my royal home. I built it by my power to show my glory and my majesty. Humble much? Remember the lesson of the great whale. When you get to the top, and you're ready to blow, that's when they harpoon you. Okay? Um, be humble. <laughs> it's kind of trickling out. It's just kind of falling on everybody. Be humble, or you will stumble. King Nebuchadnezzar thought this was all about him. It's not about him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about God. Throughout Scripture, we are warned constantly about the dangers of pride. The middle letter in pride is I. The middle letter in sin is I. Pride causes sin. I, you know, I know what God says about money, we would say, but I'm going to do my own thing. I know what it says about sex in Scripture. I know what God says about it. I'm going to do my own thing. I know what it says about gossip. I'm going to do my own thing. I, God, I don't need you to tell me what's going on. I can do it myself. Pride is at the root of all sin. God hates pride because it says I'm God and I don't need a God. Now, we believe in God. Clearly, you're here this morning because you love God and you've come to worship. But there's this part of us that subconsciously steps into God's place and we think we are our own version of God. Proverbs 16 says this, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Then you get to James. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace is the power you need to change something in your life. If you need to change something in your life, if you need to be humble, it's going to be grace that does that for you. God opposes 
the proud. That means that whenever I'm prideful, I have positioned myself in contrast and in, in contest of God. Whenever I'm proud, I have set myself in opposition against God. That's what happens when we become people of pride. We get comfortable and we get complacent with success. Number two, we don't pay attention to the warning signs. Often when, when things are going well, we don't see the warning signs, but in every success are the seeds of our own destruction. We often don't see the signs because pride blinds us to those things. Being in the spotlight blinds you. I can attest to that. These lights are, are hot and they're bright. And uh, they can turn them up so bright that I can't even see you. If, I mean, we've had them that bright where I've walked out and like, I can't even see anybody. Right now, you're kind of like a haze. Um, I can see some faces, but it's, it's almost like there's a little fog because the lights are, are so bright. That's just, a, you know, that's just the way it is. When the lights are on you, your vision is impaired. It's, it's not as clear, and you, you just have to be careful. God clearly warns Nebuchadnezzar, and God cared about him enough to warn him. That's the beautiful thing. God cares about Nebuchadnezzar, and he gives him this dream. He gives Daniel to interpret the dream, and Daniel says, listen, this is going to happen unless you humble yourself and honor God and do the right thing. So God said, look, I'm going to warn you in advance. You're going to lose your kingdom. You're, you're going to lose your sanity, and it's going to get really bad for you. Now, here's the question I have for you. What are the warning signs for you in your life? That, that pride is getting out of hand for you. Do you know what they are? Do you know how to recognize when, when maybe pride has, has started to set in and, and kind of, you know, it kind of wraps its tentacles around your heart and your, your soul and you, you, you can just, it's a, it's a subtle, very subtle thing. It's like vines on a fence, you know, that just intertwines and, and eventually will choke everything else out. Do you know what those warning signs are? Is it chaos for you? Is it conflict? Is it, is it confusion? Maybe it's temptation for you. You need to know, you need to be able to recognize what the signs are of your own, um, of your own uh, prideful heart. God warned Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to lose it, dude. <laughs> it, it, you're, you're very successful. You're the most powerful man in the world. But you're going to lose it all if you don't change. Daniel tells the king he needs to do two things. Look at this next verse. Therefore, your majesty... Be pleased to accept my advice. Here's my advice. I'm going to give you two things. Renounce your sins by doing what is right. That's one. And be kind to the oppressed. It may be then that, they, that your prosperity will continue. Two things. Renounce your sins. That's just really all that is is repent. Uh, repent in Greek, that's, a, that's two little Greek words put together to make one big Greek word. The word is metanoia. Metanoia, meta meaning change, noia meaning mind, change your mind. It's literally, literally to be walking down the street and change and go the other direction. It's, it's kind of like if, you're, if you mentally were doing that, like you think this way and, oh, I'm going to change my mind and I'm going to think this way from now on. I'm, I'm repenting. Um, humility is a choice. Humility is something that you can choose to do for yourself. Never in the Bible are you commanded to pray to God to humble you. Scripture says, humble yourself. Humility is a choice. Um, I'll just tell you this. There are a lot of things that happen at Cross Lane, and because my name has pastor after it, everybody thinks that I'm responsible for it. And there's an awful lot of stuff good about Cross Lane that happens around here that I get credit for that I should not get credit for. 
I mean, I have good staff, I have good people, we have great volunteers, and because my name has pastor at the end of it, and I'm the one that often is the one that stands on stage and preaches, I'm the one that gets credit for all that good stuff that's happening. I'm just here to tell you, I don't want to take the credit for that. That would be prideful of me. I'm not responsible many times for a lot of the things that people say, boy, that church, Brett does such a good job with that church. Look, Brett had nothing to do with that. Um, If you guys knew how much Tracy has saved my bacon, I I just love Tracy. I love Tracy because he makes me look good, to be honest with you. But it would be very prideful for me to allow those things to be said and not come back behind that and correct it and say, no, 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 no. I, I shouldn't get credit for that. Humble yourself. Real quick, let's divide, define two words. I want to define pride and humility. Pride is when I accept the credit for things that other people did for me. When I accept the credit for things that other people did for me. Humility is this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself Humility is thinking of yourself less. You want to know your value to God? All you have to do to know your value to God is look at the cross. Just look at the cross. That tells you everything you need to know about what God thinks about you. God thinks so much of you, he sent Jesus to die on a cross for you. Okay, so you're, you're highly valued, but you are also jacked up. <laughs> Both can be true. Both are true. We are deeply flawed and we are deeply loved. Humility is not putting yourself down. Michael Jordan, <laughs> for Michael Jordan to have said, I'm not a very good basketball player, did not, would not have made him humble. It would have made him a liar is what it would have made him, right? I mean, everybody, you can watch him and go, boy, that guy's really good at basketball. I mean, like really good. To, for him to say, and I've heard him say, I've heard him talk about this. He talked about his God-given ability. I have a God-given ability to play basketball. God gave me this ability. He recognized that, that God had given him the ability to run fast, jump high, and be the athlete he was. He, was. he actually was fairly humble about his own talents. But for him, to, he never said he wasn't any good. He understood he was good. It's okay to understand. You, you, you know, some of you... I'm looking at different ones of you. You are excellent in your chosen profession. The things that you do, I'm looking at your faces. I mean, I go to you for help, you know, and you help me with things that I'm not very good at. And you're excellent at those things. Um, that's, you know, it's, it's okay for you to say, you know, I'm, real, I'm, a, I'm good at that. I'm, God has given me the ability to be good at that. But humble yourself. Um, humility is having a realistic estimate of who you are and what you do. That's what humility is. There are two kinds of people in the world. There are people who walk into a room and say, here I am. You know those kind of people? They walk into a room, they suck all the air out of the room, it's all about them. Hey, look at me, look at me, they talk about me. Hey, let's talk about me for a while, that's cool. Well, enough about me, let's talk about you. What do you think about me? Let's just talk about me all the time. Um, I think, is it... uh, Toby Keith sings a song about, I want to talk about me, because his girlfriend talking about her all the time. There's two kinds of people, those who walk into a room and say, here I am, and then there are those who walk into a room and say, there you are. There you are. And they make it about other people. They compliment other people. They lift up other people. 
They, they, you know, they give a, they'll, they'll say something kind. Or they, and if someone else is telling a story, they listen politely to the story. They're not listening so that they can then jump in and tell a story that's better than that. They listen. They, they make it about the other person. Now, I don't know who you like the best or, you know, who your closest friends are and who you look up to, but this is just a gut feeling for me. I have a feeling that the people that are your favorite people in the world are more than likely there you are kind of people. If, they, if we could kind of classify them in your head, and we won't do that, but if we could kind of classify them in your head, the people that you're not real crazy about are probably the people who walk into a room and say, here I am, Mr. Narcissist, Mrs. Narcissist, look at me, let me tell you my story, my story's more important than your story, you know, enough about you, let's talk about me. Humility is other person. Humility is, is God-centered. It's other person-centered. The more you think about others and the more you think about God, the more humble you will be. Daniel's counsel to King Nebuchadnezzar is repent and humble yourself. If you don't humble yourself, God will do it for you. And I've been humbled by God. It is no fun, Right? We probably have all got our own story that we could tell about that time when God came along and said, it's time to take you down a notch. We're going we're gonna to whack you down a couple of slats on the board. Not fun at all. If you don't humble yourself, he'll do it for you. It's way easier to humble yourself. Daniel says the second thing you need to do is serve the poor. You think, serve the poor? I mean, he's telling the most important man in the world to, to serve the poor. Why would he do that? First of all, it gets your focus off yourself. You know, woe is me, my life is awful. You know, get your focus off yourself. Whether you've got a lot, hey, things are awesome, look how awesome I am, or things are not going well for me, get your focus off yourself and put it on somebody else. It puts you in touch with reality. You're doing one of two things all the time. You're either praising God or you're worrying. You're either worshiping or you're worrying. You cannot do both of those at the same time. Because when you worship, what you're doing is you're putting all your focus on God. When you worry, you're putting all your focus on whatever your problem is. And the more you focus on something, the bigger it gets. If you're focusing on the problem, your problem is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it just grows until eventually it looks way bigger than God. But when you worship, what happens is the exact opposite. God starts to get bigger. The problem starts to shrink. And you realize no problem I have is bigger than God. God can handle any of it. It's all a matter of whether I'm worshiping or whether I'm uh, worrying. We live in America and we often do not realize how blessed we are. If you could reach in your pocket right now and, and find some spare change, you're rich. To some people in the world, they would, they would know that you've got change in your pocket and go, oh my goodness, they're rich. If you've got change in, in the ashtray of your car, you know, people, there are certain people in the world who go, you got a car? You're rich. They would, they would see where some of us live. They would see where all of us live. There are certain people in the world that if they could see where you live, I don't care who you are, where you live, and they would see where you live, they go, man, that's a mansion. That's like a castle. And then they would watch you. Some of us can drive our cars home, and we get, we, we, you know, we get to the house, and a door pops up, and we drive our car into its own house. They would see that and go, like, oh, my goodness got a house for their car. I mean, how rich are they, right? 
Proverbs 20, verse 13. Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. Let me just put that in perspective for you. What if God answered you when you call out to him the way you answer those who are in need who are calling out to you? Let's move on. That's uncomfortable. Are you doing anything to be unselfish? Are you doing anything to help somebody else? Here's a passage for all of us in this crazy world we live in today. Proverbs 31, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Now, there are a lot of people who are covered in that verse. There are a lot of people who have been born into situations that none of us would want any part of, right? They've been born into uh, poverty. They've been born into abuse and neglect and things like that. It also includes the unborn, the people who can't speak for themselves, and they're, they're certainly perishing. Speak up for them. Speak up for the poor. Speak up for the helpless. Speak up for the oppressed. So we're to repent and we're to change our attitude and we're to serve the poor. This is the warning that God gives Nebuchadnezzar and he completely ignores it, which leads us to the third thing that he does that really gets him in trouble. We put off doing what we know is right. We put off doing what we know is right. That's why it's the third reason Nebuchadnezzar fell. It could be the reason that you and I falls because we put off doing the right thing. We procrastinate doing what we know is right. Daniel chapter 4, verse 29. I should say this in, um, in SpongeBob language. Some of you would understand. Twelve months later, right? Now, if you're, if you're over 30, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about right now. Twelve months later, God tells him, you're going to lose your kingdom. You're going to lose your mind. If you don't change... Nebuchadnezzar, this is all going to go south. What's he doing? He's procrastinating. He's ignoring. He's not changing anything in his life. Let me ask you, if God warned you in a dream, hey, you better get your act together or I'm going to take all this good stuff that you got going on in your life and I'm going to take it all away from you. Would you wait 12 months to get your act together or would you set about changing things now? Nebuchadnezzar waits 12 months. He says, if you do these things, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to bless you. If you don't do these things, you're going to fail, and things are not going to go your way. We put off doing what we know is right. Nebuchadnezzar knew what he should do. Twelve months later, everything that Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed um, that would, act, would happen to him actually happened. He lost it all. Let's finish that verse. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, which apparently that's what kings do. Because we're told the same thing. David did the exact same thing. They would get up on their roof and they would walk around and they would look at their kingdom and they would survey and they would see how far it went. And they would, you know, they, they would build themselves up by thinking about all the great accomplishments they had made. They would survey their kingdom. And, and, and Nebuchadnezzar is up on his roof and he's walking around and, and he thinks to himself, this is what we're told, he says, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? He looked out and he said, Nebi, <laughs> called himself Nebi, I'm sure, I'm sure. Nebi, good job. Look at that. You're the man. Nobody's as great as you. I mean, you have made it. You've done a great job. Look at all this stuff you've done. Verse 31, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. 
This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people, and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to whomever he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He lost his kingdom. He lost his mind. He literally went insane. History confirms this. There was a period of time, they don't really know for sure how long, it says seven times. They don't know whether that means seven seasons, which would have been just shy of two years, or whether it was actually seven years, not really sure. Scholars are divided on that. But this wasn't a month or two. This wasn't a brief period of time. Nebuchadnezzar has a major meltdown. It is public, and it is embarrassing. And the guy who once had it all, the most powerful man on the earth, is now drooling on himself and living like an animal in the desert, and he can't even make sense. Now, you've seen this, and I've seen this. We've all seen this. Maybe it's been you. It's been me. I've done this. Someone decides not to do what it is that God is calling them to do. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to walk away. We've all watched somebody. As a pastor, I, I have an up-close and personal seat to watch this happen. Oh, I have, I have pleaded with people. You have got to change this. If you don't change this, you are headed for destruction. It's going to be so bad, you've got to change this. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. And they walk away. And it's like watching a movie. It's like watching it. You can see the, the crash is going to happen. You know what's coming. And, and you're just you're, you're begging them, please listen to me. Please don't do this. Come on, humble yourself. And you think to yourself, have you lost your mind? Do you know what you're doing? Self-destructive behavior because they're running from God. Nebuchadnezzar's life collapses. It's a humiliating Thing. It happens in a very public way. God has mercy on Nebuchadnezzar, and he restores his mind. And now I want you to see the steps back for Nebuchadnezzar. This is the road to recovery. When you have a major failure in your life, and you need to do these three things, he looked up, he woke up, and he spoke up. He's going to look up, wake up, and speak up. He looked, to, he looked up to God. Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, he's basically giving his testimony raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was destroyed. The Hebrew there says, I looked, lifted my eyes to heaven. You're in a heap of trouble right now. You're in a mess. It's going the wrong way. Uh, but you're looking at everything else or everyone else to solve it. You ever know somebody like that? They've got stuff going on in their life, and they're blaming everybody but themselves. They're blaming God. They're blaming their parents. They're blaming their brothers and sisters, blaming their boss, blaming the government. It's somebody else's fault. And they refuse to humble themselves and take responsibility. You need to look up to God. Lift your eyes to heaven. And oh, by the way, sometimes God will lay you flat on your back to make you look up at him. Look up to God. Second thing he did is he woke up. Wake up to the greatness of God and start worshiping. Wake up to his greatness and start worshiping. Worship God. Get your focus off yourself. Get your focus off your problem, off your humiliation, and get your focus back on God. How do you do that? You just start worshiping again. You, you put the focus back on God. You read your Bible a little bit every day. You spend some time praying and meditating every day. You need to do that with regularity. You need to develop those as habits. You need to be a part of a small group. 
You need, to, you need to come to church regularly. Don't think to yourself, you know, I can go once in a while and it's going to be okay. Here's what happens. God blesses you with more. Here's, here's how the subtlety of it works. You're going along and, and the test of success comes and you get some success and God blesses you. And eventually he blesses you with enough that now you've got some options. Now you can buy a boat or you can buy a camper or you can buy a, a second house or you can buy something and, and disappear and, and go. You have options. And, and with those options, church becomes just something that is optional as well. It's just one of the things. One of the things I've noticed just in ministry in general um, you know, I've been doing it a long time, and when I first started, it was just, you didn't miss church on Sunday. You just didn't. You just didn't. But over the years, you know, there's, there's soccer games, there's uh, trips to the lake, or there's, you know, we're going to do this. We're, there's this kids and their sports is crazy, and travel sports and all that kind of stuff is really the space that used to be carved out specifically for worship on Sunday morning has met with all kinds of competition. And the more money we get, the more blessings we have, the more success we have, we're able to feed into that. See, nobody leaves church because they do a deep dive and decide Jesus didn't raise from the dead. What happens is they get preoccupied with something else, and then they look up one day and they go, eh, I don't need that. I don't need that in my life. Wake up to the greatness of God and worship him? Do you need to make a recommitment to be at church on a more regular basis? Not just once in a while, but make it a part of who you are and what you're doing. Not once a month or twice a month or when it's convenient. I wake up to the greatness of God and I start worshiping again. Look at the second part of verse 34. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. Now, I don't know what bad thing you are in the middle of right now. I don't know what you're going through, but I will tell you this. Whenever you replace pride with praise, it's going to get better. Write it down. Whatever you're going through, whatever your problem is, when you replace pride with with praise, your situation is going to automatically get better. Again, success is a test. When things are awful, God has your attention. When, when everything is up and to the right and the skies are blue and everything's perfect, that's when God wonders, are they going to praise me or are they going to be prideful? Are they going to take credit? Are they going to think they've done some great thing or am I going to get credit for it? Is it, look how cool I am? Or is it, look at how cool God is, and we're going to worship him. About a thousand years before this event, Moses tried to say the same thing to the children of Israel as they were going out of Egypt. They're getting ready to walk into the promised land. And Moses is more worried about what they're about to encounter in their success in the promised land than he is worried about what they've been through in their slavery of 400 years to Egypt. And he gives this warning before they go into the promised land. Now, this is kind of long, but I want you to lock in, okay? I know it's easy when a guy starts reading Scripture, you just go, oh, I'm going to put my mind in neutral and let it go. Pay attention to what Moses says. This is right before the children of Israel are going to go into the promised land, and he's worried. He's worried that they're not ready for it. Look at what he says. Remember how the Lord your God led you on this long journey through the desert these past 40 years. He made you go hungry. He did this to teach you that you must not depend on bread 
alone to sustain you, but on everything that the Lord says. The Lord your God is bringing you into a fertile land, a land that has rivers and springs and underground streams gushing out into the valleys and hills. You will have all you want to eat, and you will give thanks to the Lord your God for the fertile land that he has given you. So when you're full and you're satisfied and you are prospering, make certain that you do not forget the Lord your God. Do not fail to obey any of his laws that I'm giving you today. When you have all you want to eat and have built good houses to live in, be sure that you do not become proud and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from Egypt where you were slaves. The more grateful you are, the less prideful you are. That is a principle in life. The more grateful you are, the less prideful you are. Verse 17, so then you must never think that you have made yourselves wealthy by your own power and strength. Remember that it is the Lord your God who gives you the power to become rich. He does this because he is still faithful today to the covenant that he made with your ancestors. Never forget the Lord your God or turn to the other gods to worship and serve them. If you do, then I warn you today that you will certainly be destroyed. And then this warning, if you do not obey the Lord then you will be destroyed just like those nations that he is going to destroy in your advance. If America ever needed to hear any passage of Scripture, this is the one they need to hear today. This is what we need to hear today. Our nation has forgotten God. This country was started by people who came here looking for religious freedom, and for 300 years, the first book that was cracked open in any classroom was the Bible. It's only been in the last 75 years that that has changed. We have forgotten God. What Moses is saying is success is dangerous. Be careful. There's a danger when you exercise the blessing of, when you experience the blessing of God. It can carry you away to a bad place if you're not really vigilant. The greatest test in your life may not be when you lose your job. The greatest test in your life may be when you get a better job and you have so much that you're tempted to forget God and ministry and worship. When God blesses your life, you welcome it, you celebrate it. We celebrate it with you. I see you guys on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram on your vacations and you get new cars and you move into a new house, and I, I say silent prayers like, God, I'm so thankful. Thank you for blessing them. That's awesome. I love those guys. I'm happy for them. I mean, I spend a lot of my, when I'm looking at social media and see your stuff, that's the kind of stuff that goes through my head. I look at your pictures on vacation, just smile at you with your kids and your grandkids, and like, look how happy. Isn't it cool that they got to go do that? And I'm not jealous. I'm not angry. I'm not, oh, I didn't get to go. They didn't ask me. No, just silent prayers of God, thank you for blessing them. They're so, they bless my life. I'm just so thankful they, they're getting that. When God blesses your life, we're going to celebrate it. You can celebrate it. But you also hit your knees and you humble yourself and you say, God, I wouldn't have any of this if it wasn't for you. As Nebuchadnezzar goes through this recovery, he wants to tell the whole world about it. He learns four things. Now, I'm about to wow you because I'm going to go through four things in about three minutes. You think I'm lying. You think I'm lying. Watch me. Here we go. Four things. We're going to wrap up real quick. Four things that, that whether you're going through success or failure that you need to understand. God's kingdom will outlast everything I do. God's kingdom will outlast everything. Your career isn't going to last. Your car, your, your boat, whatever you think is awesome, your, 
it's, it's not going to outlast God's kingdom. Daniel 4.34, rule, God's rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. Build your life on God's kingdom. B, look how quick, look, look at me. God's approval matters more than all others. Verse 35, all the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. You are probably like me and you probably live in a prison of what other people think about you. That's been a struggle for me for a long, long time. But here's what I'm learning. If I'm okay with God, and I know when I am and when I'm not, trust me, I think we all do. We know when we're hitting on all cylinders with God. And when I am, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm trying to get to that place. It can become a prison. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. See, God's power is absolute. Two passages. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. King Nebuchadnezzar would say, I am exhibit A of that. When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as the head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. And then D, God never makes mistakes. We did it, didn't we? Look at there. We make mistakes, God doesn't make mistakes. We may not understand, but he does. I'm sure the people of Babylon, when their king disappears, are like, what happened to the king? Where'd the king? I haven't seen the king. Where's the king? They did not understand that God was in the process of doing something with their king that he didn't understand and they didn't understand, but when they got their king back, they were going to get a better king. God is in control even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it doesn't look like it. And somebody walked in here this morning and that's what you needed to hear me say more than anything else. God is in control even though it doesn't feel like it. Trust him. Humble yourself. Worship him. Focus on him. Stop looking at your problem and focus on God and worship him and your problem's going to get smaller. He looked up. He woke up. Final thing, he spoke up. Tell others how God has saved and changed your life. Now, this is a pretty humiliating experience. To be the most powerful man in the world and to be laid this low, and he's telling anybody that'll listen. I'm going to close this whole thing. I'm going to take you back to the beginning of the chapter. We're going to read two verses, and then we'll close. This is, this is really his testimony, and this is how he starts it. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. You're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. You're going to get a chance to sit down and talk to him about what, he, what his experience was. Has God saved you? Has God done something for you? You need to be telling people about that. Has God brought you up out of a pit? You need to be telling people about that. Some of you would say, oh, Brett, my story is so embarrassing, I don't want anybody to know. That's pride. That's pride. If God's brought you up out of that, you should be telling people how God has saved you and, and changed you. Remember Nebuchadnezzar. Remember what happened to him, all because of his pride. And pursue humility. Pursue humility. I tell you this all the time. This really is the truth. If you will pursue humility, it's pretty much the same thing as, as pursuing Christ. Jesus was the most humble person the planet has ever seen. God in a body who poured it all out in service to other people.
And you and I are saved as a result of that. Pursue humility. That being humble, God blesses that as much as he blesses anything else in the world. Just be humble. Let's pray together and we'll be dismissed. The band's going to come out. Father, some of us have walked in here today and it's up and to the right and the skies are blue and it's wonderful and you're blessing us and the test is can we handle it? Some of us have walked in here today, Lord, and the skies are dark and we don't know what's next. We don't know which end is up. We're scared to death. We're not even sure you're real. Father, you're God of both of those people. You're God of both of those situations. And Lord, this is what I know. You're in charge and, and you've got this. You're in control. You are sovereign, even when it feels like you're not. And Lord, we're, I would confess to you, it feels a lot of the times like you're not in control. We are tempted to disbelief in that idea. But I know better. I know you're in charge. So Father, help us to have the faith to take one more step. Help us to have the faith to lift our eyes to the, to the heavens and to worship you. To get our mind off our problem, mind off our success, mind off the blessing, and put our mind on Christ and to worship and to love. And Father, as we do that, you are just going to continue to pour blessing upon blessing out on us. We worship you this morning, Father, for who you are and what you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.